Broadcasting live from, ah, Venice. This is Pop Culture Reference, your one-stop reference for all things pop culture. I'm one of your hosts, Garrett Strother. And I'm one of your other hosts, Seamus Connolly. And joining us once again, we have our wonderful friend Sean from Sean Till Dusk, the incredible storytelling YouTube channel. Sean, how you doing, my friend? I'm doing well today, Seamus. Thanks for having me on again. I know it's an honor to be here uh, for the second week in a row. I know it's not been done before. So. <laughs> historic. 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 I, well, I appreciate the opportunity. Up top, I want to say that we are covering today the third and fourth Indiana Jones movies, Indiana Jones and Last Crusade, and Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. So if you want to go back, listen to Sean's first episode on last week with Raiders of the Lost Ark and Temple of Doom, Go on back, listen to that first, and then hop right back over here as we round out the first four Indiana Jones movies. But before we get into that, I think we need to sound the alarms for a Disney danger? What's going on? I'm going too fast with my blues this week, damn it. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) well, is it an alarm for a... Secret invasion, Seamus. Oh, goodness gracious. This is not what I thought we were going to talk about about Secret Invasion. The very first thing that we hear about Secret Invasion coming out this week is that Disney's being criticized for using AI technology to create their opening credits scene. I know we've been talking a lot lately with all of the strikes going around, with all of the advances in technology about AI swooping in to steal you know, human jobs and corporations cutting corners using these tools to really cut the middleman out of content creation. But this is kind of massive, I feel like. This is a Marvel Disney Plus original series full tie-in to the MCU, and they are already leaning on AI to create these images. It is an incredible branding misstep, I think, and colossally bad timing. Yeah, I mean, ugh. WGA is already on strike. SAG is potentially on the verge of a strike. Both of them over the usage of AI replacing human artists. Not to mention the fact that Disney owns an entire comic book company full of artists that presumably could have made them some pretty good opening titles. Yeah, I, I that, it baffles me. Have you guys seen images of these opening credits? They look insane. They look like... You could, you could tell that that's AI from a mile away, and it just makes me feel uncomfortable that that's the route they're going with this. I completely agree. And this is something that, like, the project had kind of good word of mouth. It had pretty good marketing, I felt like, for one of these Disney Plus shows. It was something that you and I were even considering watching at one point, but I don't think I'm going to do that now. I don't think I want to say, hey, I like AI opening credits and... Yeah, it's throw a view on there. It's it's really that's why I didn't I was I heard about this and I did not watch it on Disney Plus even out of curiosity. Yeah, you'd think that in the current climate, <clears throat> you know, they would want to go a different route maybe because it's not like that's set in stone at this point in the production. Yeah, and and like you brought up, Garrett, the marketing was really interesting. They were kind of taking a page out of the She-Hulk book and doing like you know gorilla on the street. You know, people in scroll makeup walking around. There was a great one of a scroll visiting the Bean in Chicago, looking at it listfully. And I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, okay, I'll take that. But all that goodwill is now kind of in the toilet with, with this news. So 
I, I don't know. I feel like that this, this one, this misstep is pretty much done for. They can't really backtrack and come back and make a new opening credits for a show that's already I mean, premiered. I think they could. I think it would be a massive show of goodwill if they were like, hey, we realize that this was tone deaf and stupid. And Disney, I mean, they're not going to do this. But <laughs> they could come back, you know, next week or in two weeks with a hastily thrown together... Heck, use uh, images from the actual Secret Invasion comics, credit the artists who worked on them at the end of the opening credits. That's going to solve a lot of your PR problems right there. Again, I don't think they're smart enough to do that, but... Uh, we'll see. I mean, they, they've had evolving intro and outro credits for these shows in the past. That's, that's very so... true. So maybe they'll, in a couple weeks, they'll change it and be like, see, this was the plan all along. It wasn't always supposed and, you know, really try to backtrack. But there is little hope in my mind that they will actually take any accountability for this misstep and be like, hey, we messed up. But I can see them trying to put out fires with, like you said, hasty and frantic uh, backpedaling. But speaking of a not-so-dangerous change in direction over at Disney. I would not say this is part of our Disney danger umbrella, would you, Seamus? I think this is a a, a Disney... Duh, 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 hold on, I'll get there. Disney Daisy. We're having a good time over here. A Disney <laughs> delight. A Disney uh, delight. There it is. Wow, there it is. What a nice sound that's, that's oh, washing over us. The angels from heaven are here. God knows what I'm going to come up with for this one this week. I don't even know. <laughs> but... Uh, Great news on the Solar Opposites front. Sean, are you a Solar Opposites fan? I haven't seen any of it. I watched some of Richard and Mortimer back when it was big <laughs> in like 2017. Well, this has to do with that realm too, so... I know, it's somewhat related. Justin Roiland has been replaced by Dan Stevens, of all people, to take over the role of Corvo in Solar Opposites. They released a trailer where, I mean, I think it's ultimately hilarious that the explanation for this change is a voice-fixing ray. It's not a voice-changing ray. <laughs> it is a voice-fixing ray. And he's he's British now. I, I don't really know much about Dan Stevens. I didn't see Beauty and the Beast. This little trailer where he's just suddenly British, he, like, straight up has a fully British vocabulary now, too. I, I think it's a hilarious change, and I kind of love everything they're doing with it. I mean, I'm a big Dan Stevens fan, and I know that someday I will succumb to the peer pressure that you have been <laughs> been leveling against me and actually watch Solar Opposites. So I'm glad Dan Stevens is getting work. I think that his career has not been great for how much stuff he's been in, I, and he's a really talented guy. So I'm glad to see him joining, by all accounts, you know, a pretty good show. Yeah, it's, I think it's an entirely good way to go about it. The short clip that they showed to announce this voice change is just, in, in true Solar Opposites form, 100% fourth wall breaking and self-referential. Characters looking at each other and going, his voice is different, and them going like, who cares? And I, I, I don't know. It's a perfect kind of change there. And I think I'm a Dan Stevens fan now myself, now that he's joined the, joined the cast. I'm glad to hear it, Seamus. So... Without further ado, oh no, there's a Warner warning! Oh god, no, no, no. <laughs> the OG, there's so many sound effects in this episode, oh god. 
god. Well, this this is a really this is some really bad stuff going on over at Warner Brothers Discovery. First off, Warner Brothers Discovery has announced that they are in negotiations to sell about 50% of their film and TV music publishing assets. It, they haven't specified to whom, though the rumor is Sony, and they haven't specified what, though reports indicate that things like the Batman theme and As Time Goes By from Casablanca could be getting sold up in this beginning of what is probably going to be a piecemeal dismantling of the Warner Brothers back catalog. Good God. That is very discouraging. Even in the early days of streaming media, like music rights and and changing music on streamed things versus things that were originally screened or available on DVD or, you know, put on network television, that's always really hit, you know, very specifically musically important shows pretty hard in the streaming realm. So I think this is a terrible move. This is just going to make things so much more hard to navigate and it's going to make things messier and re-editing of things with whatever music is <laughs> now legally available to whoever the hell owns whatever the hell. It's, it's a bad sign. But Seamus, it's going to be a quick payday. I, I, that's all Warner Brothers cares. I wish there was like a, a Mickey Mouse equivalent for Warner Brothers that we could shake our finger at, you know? Like, is it the, <laughs> is it the Animaniacs? Are the Animaniacs ruining Warner Brothers? Well, for years they tried to make Bugs Bunny their version of Mickey Mouse, but that just, it doesn't have the same brand strength behind it. Not that Bugs isn't a great character, but I mean... I guess scold Bugs Bunny, it's his fault. Michael Jordan, you know? <laughs> Michael Jordan, yeah. Or, or the, uh, the twin brothers Warner from Looney Tunes back in action. Can <laughs> we blame the is. twin brothers Warner? I, I I am behind shaking a finger at brothers Warner, as <laughs> okay, it were. Good, good. But we're not done with our Warner warning here, because Turner Classic Movies executive in charge, as well as its core team, have been laid off with very little notice. All of the hosts will remain on the channel. The channel will continue to license films outside of the Warner Bros. library, but very little else is known about what changes are coming over at TCM in the coming months with this shakeup. Steven Spielberg, Martin Scorsese, and Paul Thomas Anderson, however, were quick to action and had an emergency call with WBD CEO David Zaslav that they later said that they left heartened and encouraged in a joint statement. So, I mean, those are really our elder statesmen and Paul Thomas Anderson. <laughs> yeah, yes. Um, I mean, no, no disrespect to Paul Thomas Anderson, but he is not yet Steven Spielberg or Martin Scorsese, but I'm glad to know that they are on the case that they are advocating for one of the most vital resources in film preservation in the world, and certainly one of the most accessible ways to actually view movies made before 1980 anywhere on tv on streaming period yeah this is this is a this is a weird shake-up i'm glad we have our knights in shining armor out there riding in on on white film reels to help try and salvage <laughs> something but i mean does this does this smell of more like streaming chop up the rights throw it out to the you know max tcm channel and like well, max has tcm already as one yeah, of its channels that's what i'm that's saying though like are, maybe they're like 
like, let's let's chop up what Turner Classic Movies is and relocate everything back onto what Max has become. I don't know if that's the, you know, the direction things are going or even if the, you know, the three boys out there, if their good feelings about things is more to just like quell the masses even. It's like, no, yeah. no, classic cinema isn't dying. Don't worry, guys. But I mean, like, we just got to see what they're doing with all this first, I guess. I miss Filmstruck. I think ever since. Do you remember Filmstruck? That's Seamus? I That sounds so familiar to me. Filmstruck. <sighs> that was, was like a streaming thing, right? That was like an educational streaming thing? No, it was a streaming service that was a partnership between Turner Classic Movies and the Criterion Collection. Yes! Oh my goodness, yes. And it, when it was shuttered, Warner Brothers closed Filmstruck down a few years ago and that birthed the Criterion channel. Criterion was like, you know what, we will, we still want to do a streaming service. So that's what Criterion channel kind of rolled out of the wreckage of. But Filmstruck was a great service, and I'm glad Criterion is still doing the good work, and I watch a movie on TCM at least once a week, I'd say. So it is an invaluable service that is very much a living, breathing part of my life. And I see movies that I would never be able to see any other way on there. I watched The Silver Streak recently, which features the Burlington Zephyr from the Museum of Science and Industry as the titular Silver Streak. What? That's crazy. It was shot at the 1933 World's Fair in Chicago at the debut. It was shot on the train. That is a very difficult-to-find movie, but I watched it in high-definition streaming on the TCM Roku app. Last week, I watched the Judy Holiday Jack Lemmon comedy that i had never heard of called p it's called it's called it's p h f f f t exclamation (laughs) like like a sound effect of a dart being thrown like a sound effect of a divorce of a marriage breaking up that's not where i thought you were going with that okay (laughs) but yeah great movies both of which who i don't think i would have been able to see without tcm so that's just one anecdotal piece of evidence for the necessity of having Turner Classic movies around. Oh, well, I'm praying for you, man. You're you're the one who use, who uses who views Turner Classic movies the most out of anybody that I know. So this is, you know, you've got a real stake in this and I'm going to I'm going to fight tooth and nail with you. With with the boys, with Paul Thomas Anderson and Spielberg <laughs> and Scorsese. All of us boys, we're going we're marching on the TCM offices. I think that, I think, well, maybe not the TCM offices. I don't think they're doing anything wrong. <laughs> Burn the TCM offices <laughs> to the ground, Garrett. That's what Bring we're calling for. Bring me Ben Mankiewicz. <laughs> but speaking of Steven Spielberg and classic cinema, I think it is time to move into today's main segment, Indiana Jones' Last Crusade and Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. What do you say, boys? Let's do it. Let's get into it. For today's main segment, we're talking about Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade and Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Arguably, I would say maybe most people's favorite and most people's least favorite. I I don't necessarily know where you guys fall on that, but I I can imagine that we're all Henry Jones Sr. appreciators in this podcast right now. I would say that most people, Last Crusade is their favorite. I know Raiders is my favorite. Although, for a long time, Last Crusade was really close to Raiders in my rankings, and I still love Last Crusade. I love I love it to death. It probably has 
some of the most compelling character work in the entire series. Mm. But I think Raiders is flawless, and I think Last Crusade does have some blemishes that we will get into get into shortly. But yeah, Crystal Skull is my least favorite. You, you <laughs> might have guessed that. Sean, what about you? What are your thoughts on these two? This this interesting pair up that we have today. I must be uh, Garrett from the past because I have Raiders, you know, as my favorite. But then right behind it is the Last Crusade. Very interesting. I like them both quite a lot. I feel like I'm a little bit of a flip flop on that. I think Raiders was historically my favorite, and then as I got older, I was like, "There's nothing better. There's nothing better than Last Crusade." You know, I I still I still think it might take my number one spot. I I don't know what is necessarily the better of the two officially, but personally, I I I I love my favorite Last Crusade. I think watching this time, I was blown away by how Sean Connery shows up in that movie and he just throws three-pointers for the entire rest of the movie. <laughs> yeah, dude. He does in that little bucket hat of his. He's so good. And that movie, if he did not work and the chemistry between those two did not work, that movie would not work at all. That movie would be insufferable. And it is a masterpiece because they get the chemistry and the tone and the relationship just right. I mean, it helps that it's, you know, we've got, it's James Bond is James Bond's father. I mean, it really does help that a lot. And you, you sometimes, I I almost, in my head, I put Sean Connery as Henry Jones Sr. before I even think about him as 007, which is kind of crazy. I do but, that too, if I'm being honest, yeah. So so it's sometimes that, that goes to the wayside when you're watching last crusade especially because of you know his kind of he's a dad in that he really is like kind of a dorky dad in more than one moment so that 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 chemistry like you're saying is is so palpable it's amazing i do know that he was not a fan of the fact that he was only like 15 years older than harrison ford at the time. <laughs> 12 <laughs> years only That's 12 wow. years oh that is weird to think about i mean they, they do him up he's got all the gray He's got the bow tie and the glass. He carries himself as an older gentleman in this movie. Yeah, I mean, I think it works. And also, I would say that Harrison Ford is supposed to be playing a little bit younger than Indy is supposed to be mm. in this movie. Because it's only two years after Raiders and he does look... I mean, he still looks like Harrison Ford, but he does look a lot older than he does in Raiders. Yeah, yeah. The the Watching Harrison Ford age throughout these last couple weeks on our... All three of our mutual rewatch has been very interesting because he, he looks so much more varied in the original three than I remember. And then I don't want to get too far into Crystal Skull, but he looks way less old than I remember him I looking. Know. It's great. And maybe it's because of all of the Dial of Destiny trailers that we have been witnessing as of late, but he looks pretty good. He <laughs> looks because he looks good. 80 now when he looks 65. <laughs> <Yeah>. and... <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It works. It works for me. But he looks like really good for 65 also. And we were mm-hmm. kids. So yeah, that's, that's true. Shia LaBeouf was like account. 55 years old to me when, when that movie came out. You know, he was an adult man. Oh, do we? I wanna, I wanna jump into spoilers right away. I feel like that's maybe a little premature, but there's so much to talk about in the depths of this movie. You know, let's just do it. I think we we went really long last week, <laughs> and th- we're just gonna spin our wheels in non-spoilers. So let's just call it. We're talking Last Crusade first. Uh, I I I love the setup for this one. The the tablets, the 
holy grail for god's sake i mean literally for god's sake it's another christian adventure i like the christian adventures what can i say it's almost like that they're like hey the last one didn't work so well (laughs) tread back to to familiar territory because that's something i noticed in this is you know you do have a few you you have the fact that he's going after the holy grail you have the scene at the college at the beginning that's almost exactly like the scene from Raiders. <laughs> yeah. But for the first mm, half of this movie, it's really more its own thing. It's it's structurally very different than than Raiders, and you have some fun little twists like Marcus along for the adventure. Like it is it is different new adventure. It we're in Europe. Indy's dad is here, uh, or he's coming, and then the Nazis show up and they're like, "Ha, we got you. We're just doing Raiders again. <laughs> Never mind." Right, yeah, we're doing Raiders with maybe a more memorable... Do we like the not main Nazi bad guy more or less than the main Nazi bad guys in Raiders? I would say that he's more... I like him more than Dietrich. I I like him less than Tote. That's That would be my official sure, yeah, ranking. Yeah, I, I can, I, I'll give you that one. I'll give you that one. Because you guys are talking Donovan? Donovan. Or... No, no, we're, no, talking, no we're talking... Uh, we're talking uh, uh, main Nazi I got, guy. No, I got his name. His name it's, um, it's, um, it's somewhere in my brain here. Hans. Vogel. Franz. Vogel? Vogel. Wow, where did you pull that from? Jeez. A Lego set, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Nazi, Nazi Vogel Lego minifig. I do <laughs> I do enjoy the concept of that. Because we've got, you know, Sala shows up right yeah. when the Nazis show up. The Nazis are in the desert again. Donovan is basically Belloc in a lot of ways. It is very similar to Belloc, but I prefer Belloc to Donovan in a lot of ways. I like how Donovan says... Dr. Jones, like his very <laughs> tight lipped Dr. Jones. I, I very much enjoy that. And the he, shield is the second. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, he, he, he's out there. I, I enjoy him, but I don't know. He doesn't have that French twist to him that I'm craving out of my Indiana Jones villains. He has a British guy doing an American accent twist to it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. I saw the, uh, with Belloc, you know, he's got all that chemistry with, uh, or at least all the history with Indy already, whereas mm. Donovan is like some random, you know, guy that he meets in the movie, you know. Yeah, Donovan is basically Belloc mixed with the government guys who send him out to find the Ark. He's just like kind of the quest giver twist villain. Which, I mean, I feel like even when I was a kid, that was a pretty obvious twist. The, the Elsa thing is a little bit, although now as an adult, I'm like, yeah, she's a Nazi <laughs> for sure, but... I mean, uh, yeah, I kind of, I, I do love the bit that she's honeypotting both of the Jones boys. I think that's that like, you know, as a little kid, I was like, ew, she's kissing both of these guys. But now I'm like, that's kind of the best that she's like seducing multiple doctors Jones and she, she, her weird, her scream acting once we get to the climax really works for me. It's like way more intense than I remember, but then rewatching her like get you know really messed up once we get to uh, Petra <laughs> out there in Jordan I I was like oh yeah that like disturbed little kid Seamus watching this is her like messed up screaming yeah I think when I was a kid she was my favorite of the indie because I, I feel wow. like as a kid she has the most to do but now I'm now I'm obviously you heard my whole thing about Marion last week, and Mary is definitely my favorite now. And we'll talk in Crystal Skull. We will talk about Marion in Crystal Skull. <laughs> Why would we do that, Garrett? There's no reason to do that. Oh yeah, right. What well, we call spoilers? It's fine. Everything's fine. But yeah, I like her. I like the way she says "go between them." 
I think that's a good read. <laughs> oh man, having having been to Venice recently, I've I've maybe never loved this movie and the Venice sections more. I watched I watched it again on my flight back from Venice, weirdly enough. And I, I loved every little thing about it. Apparently, my, my parents accidentally went into the building that is a museum now, but was the library exterior where they, they all bash open the floor and stuff. That is such a great scene because the stamp and that whole gag is, is funny, but you have finding the Roman numerals and the X marks the spot pay off. And this one is quippier and funnier than the other ones and not in the dumb silly way that temple of doom is funny but this is witty and pithy and clever and has really good payoffs and tom stoppard the the playwright did a pass on this script an uncredited pass on this script and i think that you can really tell that it has a voice with that kind of pith behind it because you've got x marks the spot bit you've got maybe the single funniest edit in spielberg's entire filmography the with any luck he's got the grail already smash cut (laughs) to marcus bumbling his way through a train station Uh, does anybody speak english like that is so funny that that long dramatic build up he speaks a dozen languages he knows people in every country from here to ah near flawless definitely one of my favorite parts of all of these movies growing up because i love marcus marcus is so good and i'm i'm really happy that he is more involved in the adventure in this one because he he's 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 through the entire movie actually he is he rides off into the sunset at the end with the boys you know like it's he is he's part of the crew i actually think that the the best part of this movie's structural similarity to raiders is at the beginning of the movie where they're in Henry Sr.'s house and it has a very similar structure to the cautious fellow scene from Raiders where it's Marcus and and Indy in a house and they're talking about the adventure that they're about to embark on and the the mystic threat of the religious artifact the Mm. you know the whole do you believe Marcus do you believe the grail is real and all that stuff and then it takes that little twist at the end of Indy's like tell Donovan I'll take that ticket now and Marcus goes I'll tell him we'll take two and that's such a great little subversion it's a great little moment it gives you a lot of momentum going into the next scene the 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 famous travel by map is back of course and it's just it's a great scene with a great little button on the end that is the best use i think really of the structural similarities with raiders yeah i I love i love all that stuff too It it is so snappily written and it really like launches you right into the action but i want to backpedal just a Fraction. I want to talk about the intro intro, which we have blasted past somehow, even though that was one of my favorite parts watching this movie growing up. We're talking young Boy Scouts Indiana Jones out in the Badlands, right? In- He's in Utah, so Utah. Right, in- yes. Something I had never caught before, actually, in the... This is probably the Indiana Jones movie I've seen the most times, I would guess. It's It and Raiders are going to be pretty close together. Mm. But I didn't realize up until, so you, you know, you, you do the whole Boy Scout opening with the opening credits and the title card and they dismount and they're going exploring the cave and you see them digging down there and you see the guy from behind, Fedora, I believe his name right. is. Credited as, yeah. And until he turns around, 
they don't say that it's Utah 1912. So I'm like, oh, that's a reveal. Up until yeah, this man. point, the audience is supposed to be thinking that that's Indy. And as a kid, I never caught that. I was just like, oh, yeah. like Because I, got, I guess I knew it opened with Young Indy, so I didn't even think about it. And then after that, the kid that he's with says, Indiana, Indy, Indiana, Indiana, <laughs> yeah, like a yeah. hundred times. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love that kid. kid. Dude, fat bugle kid. He's the best. I don't remember <laughs> if he got a name or anything, but he's, he is amazing. I do love his big bright red cheeks when he's like blowing a bugle into Indiana When he, when he brings Sheriff Wyatt Earp to Indy's house. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, my goodness gracious. Yeah, that is, that is very funny. Ah, oh, but it, it is interesting that it's a big reveal that it's River Phoenix out here doing his handsome young River Phoenix thing. Uh, the 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 circus train. What the hell? That's the craziest thing to think about. Really, if you're not used to it, it's like, oh yeah, you know the the horse chase slash car chase that turns into a circus train like attack. It's crazy. <laughs> he gets out of that with like magic, like sleight of hand magic. It's crazy. You know, I've actually been on that train. Not not the circus train part, what? but the locomotive on those tracks in New Mexico. That's awesome, dude. Did you think about Indiana Jones the entire time you were on it? Well, obviously, and we were looking out <laughs> of the horizon, like, oh, like this is where they filmed the movie, and then we went back to our back to our rental house that night and we watched last crusade oh yeah dude that is right you're wearing your little campaign hat the whole time i i would lo- i i was actually probably straight up wearing the indiana jones fedora that i wore all the time <laughs> when i was that age oh uh, did you did you guys have a whip did you ever buy a whip i did me too did. hell yeah sean i did not oh loser you gotta get a whip bro come on <laughs> Did you too? I, I know. Absolutely. I come on here claiming to have Indiana Jones street cred, and I never even had a whip. Oh my god! I for sure hurt myself like whipping myself in the face accidentally, like actual Last Crusade style when I was practicing with that thing. I Get lost a scar my... on your chin. Oh, I wish that would have been worth it. I just whipped myself in the face, and I was like, "Screw this! I don't need a whip. What the hell am I doing?" <laughs> I lost mine the Halloween I was Indiana Jones. So. Nice. Oh, you lost it? How? Because I, I don't know. I, I set it down to grab candy. I was 11. I don't you, you weren't, like, ringing the doorbell, cracking the whip from, like, the sidewalk up up to a porch? <laughs> well, you I, would go, I would go up to people's houses. They'd be like, is that a real whip? And I'd be like, yeah. They'd be like, okay, go out in the front yard. I want to see you crack the whip. <laughs> Dude, were you able to, like, successfully? No, I was 11! So was I when I had a whip, Garrett, but I, I used it. I, I figured out the, the wrist twitch, the wrist movement. I don't know, maybe I could crack it. I don't think I could crack it, though. Hey, we're, we're doing whips this summer, boys. We're getting together, we're learning how to do whips just for the Indiana Jones of it all. I mean, but I watched what? the Executioner at Medieval Times train with the whip enough. I probably oh, hell yeah, it, you know? dude. You probably have a better idea than any of us. <laughs> I never actually got to use it, though, unfortunately. That's a shame. It's the muscle memory that you never got. It's the visual memory. There it is. That you, See, you got. Sean is our friend who plays the bugle, but he doesn't play the bugle. He plays the trumpet, and he, Damn. he comes with Sheriff Wider to our house after we had the adventure. <laughs> so uh, my grandma actually gave me an antique official Boy Scout bugle one time. Oh, no way. Oh, look at you. I, I mean, I, I say one time, I still have it. Like It's got the BSA <laughs> logo on there. That yeah. thing is a piece of crap. <laughs> I can Sounded understand like why it. the kid sounds so bad on that thing. Those are garbage. <laughs> that kid was playing it the best he possibly yeah, could. That's what that it sounds sucked. like. That's crazy. Well, now that's next time I watch that, like as if I was watching Lord of the Rings and going, he actually broke his toe. 
I'll be like, that's actually a crappy bugle. And people will be like, I don't care. We're not at the Indiana Jones part yet. Well, actually, I noticed that the bugle he's playing is not an official BSA bugle. Oh. Now, this movie I, sucks. Cancel it. <laughs> this movie literally unwatchable. I didn't even get to the uniforms they're wearing yet. <laughs> I, I'll say this. I like the opening. It shouldn't work, even though it does. And that's partially because it's so tongue-in-cheek, it's so short, and River Phoenix is so charming. Uh, yes. And with that out of the way, Sean, please lay into the historical <laughs> accuracy. <laughs> I've been waiting for this moment since I was like 11 years old, Garrett. <laughs> on a proper uh, medium to get this out of the open. This is on the yes, record. Finally. So, scouting came to the U.S. in 1910. So, this is Utah 1912. This is real early on in the program. Uh, so, real early on, uh, actually pretty much until like the 80s, the, uh, the uniforms pretty much just kind of followed what military uniforms looked like at the time. So, like, those... The real early uniforms, literally, they just looked like World War One soldiers. So, like the, oh my God. I, in fact, I think some of the original original uniforms actually were like small, like army surplus uniforms. So that's what they they looked like, like straight up, you know, Spanish uh, Spanish American War soldiers. That's kind of what they looked like early on. Uh, so they were like, t- you know, that kind of tan, beigey kind of color. The uniforms they're wearing in the movie are green, which is what they looked like, you know, later on. There's only one patch on Indy's uniform, and it is a, uh, a Life Scout patch. Uh, it's not from the right time period. That, uh, that wouldn't have been a patch at all, I believe, at that point. I think it would have just been a pin. And, uh, but anyway, at that point, Garrett, you know this. Um, nowadays in Scouts, the, there's a really specific rank progression. You know, you got Scout, you know, Tenderfoot, Second Class, First Class, Star, Life, Eagle. Uh, but back in those days... Uh, it didn't work quite like that. It was just Tenderfoot, second class, first class. And then Star Life and Eagle were basically like super merit badges. So nobody got Star Life. They just skipped right to Eagle for the most part. So him being a Life Scout is almost in itself historically inaccurate. I did some research. I found out why that is. That will be in the pop culture reference later. Titillating. Very nice. Yes. I would have never, I mean, I was in the Scouts for a brief time. I would have never known that. I would have just been like, yeah, Indiana Jones, why wouldn't he have a completely accurate Scout uniform, you know? He's Indiana Jones, for Christ's sake. But uh, obviously, you know, most people don't notice. Most people don't care. He's wearing a green shirt with a patch on it. The campaign hats, you know, that's legit for the time period. Well, I'm glad that... You're finally out here with the facts, damn it. You don't have to keep that bottled up inside you. You don't have to bring that up in therapy every week now. It's like I finally finally worked through it after all these years. Indy's friend is wearing a tenderfoot pin, which, as far as I'm aware, is legit. Okay, good on and that's a good low rank, friend. so he's, yeah, good for Indy's friend. Do, do you think we'll see Indy's friend again in the Dial of Destiny? Is that a, is that part of the Dial of Destiny? It's like, what if, what if the destiny changed and Indy's friend didn't go get Sheriff Wyatt Earp and he actually got to, you know, keep the cross that he then later does that awesome transition onto a sinking ship with? What if Indy's friend had all of the things that makes Indiana Jones, Indiana Jones happen to him and then he became Indiana Jones what? instead of <laughs> Henry Jones Jr.? Because in this intro, he uses a whip, gets a scar... Gets his fear of snakes and gets the hat, which is like 90% of his character. <laughs> yeah, honestly. And he steals the leather jacket look from Fedora, too. Like, that's yeah. not that's not a coincidence. He's like, 
that's the coolest villain guy I've ever seen. I want to be a scumbag like him one day. And he does. I gotta say, it's interesting that it does make me a little bit agitated that <clears throat> it walks back some of the scumbagginess of Indy's character in, and I think the Indiana Jones Chronicles does a good job of building that back up a little bit because this movie, the the segment of this movie takes place between the young, young indie segments of Young Indy and the Sean Patrick Flannery, like, World War One era segments of Young Indy. So it's an interesting kind of bridge between those two because jumping ahead to Harrison Ford again a little bit, I think that this is the most that his character feels like the character from the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles, and I think that's partially because his dad's here, and one of the best parts of Young Indiana Jones is the way they write Henry and his relationship with Indy, mm. and they have a really good dynamic that it very much reflects the dynamic that we see in the movie, but I really loved, this is the first time that I'd seen Last Crusade since watching any Young Indy, and kind of like revisiting Star Wars after watching Obi-Wan and being like, oh, I actually really like the insight that this gives me to, mm. to like, the way Leia thinks and her background. I kept thinking that during this movie. Like, I'm like, oh, that's just, like, what happened in, in Young Indiana Jones. And we will obviously get into that a little bit more when we hop over to Crystal Skull because some things from Indiana Jones are explicitly mentioned in Crystal Skull, but I don't know. I just thought that was an interesting perspective to now have on this movie that I really did enjoy, and I did feel like Young Indiana Jones added another dimension for me. Yeah, I've been dabbling, my friend, in Young Indiana Jones. I have finally crested the the series now that it's on Disney+. Plus. Started from one. I kind of see what you're saying there. I'm not as far into it as you are, and I'm hoping to catch up at some point soon, but... I'm still in little tiny baby indie era, but I still very much like how they're writing Henry Jones Sr. alone and, and of course, with him and his son. So I, I, I want to rewatch uh, Last Crusade again when I get a little farther into things. Hell, I want to watch Temple of Doom when I get farther into Young Indiana Jones, too. But, <laughs> you know, I think this one specifically would gain a lot, like you're saying, from that series. Although I do gotta say, this is the one that on the rewatch for this show, my opinion changed the least on. I'm still like, yeah, that is Indiana Jones' Last Crusade, and it's a really good movie, and I really like it, and it's definitely the second best one for me. And Because Raiders, I was appreciating on a whole other level. Temple of Doom rose in my esteem. You will find out about Crystal Skull <laughs> in a few minutes. But Last Crusade is just, it is solid, it does the work, it is Last Crusade. And... That is a merit in of itself, I think. I will say, I on this rewatch, I noticed way more of the jokes, or at least the jokes landed a lot more for me. Uh, I'm so, I'm sorry, Sean. They got us. Was incredible. <laughs> like that's so the good. funniest <laughs> bit where this guy just downed their own byplay. That's such a horrible thing to do, and he's doing a bit. It's so good. The uh, the right after post uh, hilarious heavy stamp bit. Right after they get to the sewers, there's the Ark of the Covenant bit where he's like, yeah, been there, done that. Ark of the Covenant's old news that I did not remember at all. I thought really? that was great. Yeah, oh yeah. I thought the the next time we got a mention of Raiders-specific things was Crystal Skull, and I, I was very pleasantly surprised. Yeah, I like that because it's the first time that Indiana Jones gets to do the, hey, we already had an adventure before this one. Because the first two movies are both technically, quote, 
the first adventure it, exactly so oh, it's 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 weird and that's a, another thing as a kid i'm like well of course everyone's thinking about what happened with raiders when when this is happening like why wouldn't they be fully accounting for everything that they know now after what happened in raiders but that's just my own franchise brain that grew with me as a little boy when I also, they uh, when they show the drawing on the wall of the the ark they have the the ark like theme come in and the trumpets just <laughs> yeah. sound absolutely phenomenal it's just Good stuff. It's good work. It's damn good work. Yeah. John Williams, once again, putting in the work on this movie. It's incredible. Oh. He's so good. You, We were doing our little John Williams bum-bum-bum bit earlier that I don't know if was in the actual podcast or not, but... I don't think it was. Henry Jones Sr.'s theme is amazing. It's so good. It's another one more in the long line of incredible character-specific themes that this franchise has from John Williams, and I I love when it pops up again in other things. It's 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 incredible. All of the Henry Senior jokes really worked for me this time, and maybe now it's like I'm an adult and I understand what it's like to be an adult and have a dad. You know, like when I was a kid, I had a dad, but I was a kid, so it's different. Yeah, very different. It was. I'm sure this was also a big. My dad loves this one. He This was probably his favorite one to put on in the VHS box set that we had. Probably specifically for Connery. Maybe not for, like, the father-son of it all, but because Sean Connery is hilarious and kills it. But He really is. Definitely a, a very dad movie for me all around now when I when I have rewatched it and thought about it a little more. The, the relationship that Indy and his dad have always has reminded me of the relationship that my dad and his dad have. So that's always been entertaining oh. for me. Yeah, that is way more personal with these characters than I, that I have with my own family. But that that must make this a very interesting watch for you when you get around to it again. Well, yeah, my dad. You know, my dad is much more like Indy. You know, he's always about the action and you know doing stuff. And my grandpa was always more about you know he always wanted to you know sit down and think about things and you know take his time and all that sort of stuff. So just the budding heads, you know, I was. It's like I was watching my real life sometimes. And then your dad did a giant slapstick fall down some spiral stairs that <laughs> appeared on the floor. I forgot about that. <laughs> I forgot. There's so much slapstick in the castle. What there is really going is. on? They're tied to a chair. There's a revolving trap door. There's that Nazi radio operator that does a great bit where she smiles <laughs> before she freaks out. Like, that's so good. They're hopping around the burning castle tied to chairs. It's perfect. Was Something... that lady in, was she the the woman that's in Austin Powers or does she yeah. just kind of look like her? <laughs> Frau Farbissina in Austin yeah. Powers? I don't think she is, but it's... she definitely seems like, I mean, I'm sure they're just both pulling from the same historical images. I'm she sure. She looks exactly like Frau Farbissina. <laughs> and, I mean, the scream... The, 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 do, she does a scream bit in Austin Powers, you know, yeah. open the gates, you know, that whole thing. And I, uh, you're, you're not wrong. I do think about that lady every time <laughs> I watch this. That Nazi lady in this movie should have been a main character, damn it. She should have been the Elsa character. She um, should have had more lines at least. <laughs> yeah, yeah, damn more it. More than one. Uh, let's, I don't, I, before we move on too far, I don't want to forget Indy's Scottish art collector character bit that he does that is iconic. he really thinks that's gonna work i guess <laughs> it does kind of though he gets in the door that nazi butler lets him in <laughs> sean i had never noticed before or at least paid attention to it that the castle the fictional castle that they go to in the alps is north of salzburg on the way to munich which is where when sean and i were 
were in Europe together, we were spending a lot of time in that region. So we were in the area that the fictional Nazi castle was in. Oh, I'm jealous. Oh, yeah, I, I certainly agree. And uh, I was in um, I was in Tyrol, which is part of Austria, not that part of it, but you know, kind of to the uh, to the west. And the castle from the outside looks a lot like the castle that's over there. Damn, you guys got that part of this movie down. I guess me and Sean have Venice under our belt. Has anybody here ever been in a Zeppelin? Do those still exist anymore? Do we have... Anybody been to I Berlin? Think there are, I think there are technically like eight blimps, period, in the world now, so... I would fly in one. Just take like ten days to cross the ocean or whatever, however long that takes. Wait, you guys didn't get the Zeppelin flying merit badge? Nah, sad, <laughs> sadly, I didn't get to go to that jamboree. That's, uh, that, that wasn't part of mine. Oh man, no ticket. God, I keep I keep coming up with bits that they're so good that I keep forgetting. Like no tickets is great. That's another thing that would have definitely got them caught right out of the mm-hmm. open. I mean, you, you know I love me a, a cartoon style Indiana Jones knocks somebody out and puts all their clothes on to act like <laughs> a, a different guy. But, but I love I'm, that he does that and then. Like, takes the clothes back off and then, like, sits on the Zeppelin as a <laughs> yeah. passenger again. <laughs> what the hell? You don't think anybody's going to notice that? He also says no ticket in pure English with an American accent. <laughs> I mean, there's one Nazi that's on that Zeppelin and he gets thrown off and nobody figures it out. Like, not a well, single they, person. Well, they do figure it out eventually. I guess. But, like, pretty far into stuff, you know? Far enough, yeah. It's it's hilarious. That whole scene is hilarious. He chose poorly is good. That's a good one. That's a bit for you? That disturbs that's a, that's me, man. That's a joke. That's nah, a joke. I don't know, man. That that disturbs me. Maybe that just because that whole scene disturbs me. Just a man turning into a, a an ancient corpse before your eyes is pretty rough to see. That is maybe on par, not quite a Nazi's face melting off and him gurgling it like Listerine, but it's pretty close. <laughs> They do have a track record of Nazis dying horribly in these movies. Which, I mean, hey. Good on them. I don't mind that at all. What happens to old Hans and Franz, the Nazi lieutenant in this one? What happens to him again? He goes off the cliff in the tank. Yes! Oh, yes! he's screaming. He's in the Blues Brothers-style tank (laughs) off-cliff moment. Another great bit right after that. Everyone thinking India's dead and him just, like, not knowing at all what's going on. Hilarious. Also, I love the, when Henry's like, okay, time to go, Indy, and Indy's trying to take a rest, and the hat blows back to him, and that's not just the, like, hey, more adventure, we're, we're going into the third act, but it's almost like a burden, like, oh, I have to go back to being <laughs> Indiana Jones. Like, let me take a breather for a second. I just did a whole thing on, like, tank treads, where a bunch of dudes got squished. Uh, he, He's like, he you shoots... could be Dirty Dan, I just want to be Patrick. <laughs> yeah, for the love of God. But nope. I, I, we could really talk about this movie for ages, but I feel like we have, we have to do, we had our dessert first and now we're forcing ourselves to go back and have our crystal vegetables at some point. Do you guys have any wrap up thoughts on Last Crusade? Oh, just one more thing I wanted to mention. That night does not seem like pissed enough to have waited <laughs> 700 years just for some people to immediately destroy everything and lose yeah. the grail. He's, He's tired, just like, dog. <laughs> He's tired. He wants to die. He probably just can force pick up the grail out of the abyss and then yeah. everything goes back to normal. <laughs> he, like, he's probably done this three or four times, you know? Other oh, people I would, have found it. I would yeah, love maybe. to know those other stories. Young Indiana Jones already did that a couple times, I'm sure. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. A couple of things that I have. The lighting in this movie... I mean, you could say this for all the Indiana Jones movies, but I think I noticed it a lot in this one. It's not, like, practical light. It's not how light looks in real life. At, I mean, you could say that for any movie, obviously. But especially when they're in lantern light or low light, it looks like how candlelight or lantern light looks in a comic book. It looks drawn. It really, really does. I noticed that, too. So A lot of the stained glass in the, when they're in Venice, a lot of the, like you said, candlelight, firelight. Even when they're in, like at the book burning in Berlin, like they're playing with a lot of like the pillar structures of light and shadow. It's, it's really fascinating to, to keep an eye on. I also just feel obligated to mention this because we're on this specific podcast. I think that figuring out the map to Alexandretta with Marcus and Indy is the most national treasure of this entire <laughs> Yes, it is. Oh yeah. Yeah, they, they really, as these Indiana Jones movies go on, they really channel more of that national treasure, Sherlock Holmes, step-by-step kind of clue things. I feel like in, in the earlier ones, he is kind of more like, I am a smart man and I know where to find the answers in these books that I, I, I know about, basically. And they, you know, they work off of those clues. But the, the, the longer they go in this franchise, he's like really piecing things together more in a more fun way. To rise at last, I saw in tears the golden vision reappear. Oh, all right. Are we getting into it? Is that our, <laughs> is that our weird uh, transition over to Kingdom of the Crystal Skull? I think let's talk Crystal Skull. A movie... That I thought is half of an actually okay Indiana Jones yeah, movie. Yeah, hell yeah. Oh yes, I have been a defender of this movie since it came out, since 2008. And I finally got a shooter on my side. <laughs> I wouldn't say I'm a shooter. I would say that it, it, it might be the state of the last 10 years of blockbusters. It might be the fact that I hadn't seen it in 15 years. It might be the fact that Steven Spielberg, no matter what he's making, is still a competent director. But yeah, I, th- I think that the first little bit of this movie, really until they get to the jungle, is pretty good. Yeah, I, I can agree with that. Sean, I know maybe zero of your thoughts on this movie as a whole, historically or recently, but we, what, what are your thoughts? What are you thinking? Uh, yeah, so I always, I mean, I haven't seen it in a long time either, so I uh, had to redefine my uh, position here. I actually thought, like, the first half of the movie or so was actually, you know, I I don't know if it would have been, like, the best movie in the series, but it was pretty good. I think that when they get to the jungle chopper machine, I think that there is a steep drop-off at that point. I think we're all on the same page here. I think we're all thinking more highly of this movie than we have in the past. Even me, as somebody who is a self-proclaimed defender, I had more than my fair share of problems with what this movie was then and now, but... I will say that my opinion of the first half of the movie raised quite a bit, and then the second half of the movie, as a kid, I had no way to comprehend just how how dumb it is. <laughs> I think that's actually very fair. Yeah, it's like it's like a teeter totter. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> two extremes for sure. Because you get sucked in. That first half is kind of dynamite, and even the stuff that people have been memeing about for years and years, I I think it's better than people give it credit for. I don't know. I don't know. And I I think if most people, I think if they did a rewatch now, having just seen it the once or the few times and never never thought about it again, I think they would be surprised that they like it a lot more than than they originally gave it credit for. If you get rid of the of the fridge nuking, which is a bit of a hurdle, I think in the, in this one, <laughs> um, 
I think that really everything up until The Jungle Cutter is a good movie. Like, I don't think there is a problem with anything other than the fridge nuking up until that point. I even give I, I even give some leeway to the fridge nuking. My, I mean, it's is it is it crazier than really any of the other stuff that Indiana Jones gets up to? He's running behind a a gong gone rogue that's being sprayed down with Tommy gun fire, leaps out of like a ten story window and just kind of plops into the back of a a car. That he should have been cooked alive. Every bone in his body should be broken. <laughs> he's gonna have like the like he should be dying in a hospital bed with radiation burns, like he was at Chernobyl. <laughs> I do that <laughs> shot of him like getting out of the fridge and looking back at the mushroom cloud, like ten feet away from the mushroom cloud. I was like, oh, this man is not in a good place. They half-heartedly scrub his grundle down later in the next scene. You know, <laughs> yeah, he gets cleaned off. It's fine. <laughs> The, the janitor from Scrubs is there. He's... I want to talk about the janitor from Scrubs. Are we getting into the spoilers? I have problems. We're already in spoilers. Did we shape. say that? Oh, thing? in due time. Okay. Screw the janitor from Scrubs. What is his problem? I get that he's like a McCarthyism style, like, you know, communist guy. He's sniffing out what's going down. But like, did you earn your medals in the war? Saying that to Dr. Henry Jones Jr. Like he's not a goddamn hero. That pissed me off, like, for real. I also think it's really cool that we never have seen, and until the first part of Dial of Destiny coming up real quick, we've never seen true World War II hours Indiana Jones, and I think that's rad. I think it's rad that in any other franchise, the part where America is in World War II would be the central event of the franchise, and no, that's just not, like, it's not in Young Indiana Jones, it's not in any of the four movies up until this point. I think that's a really cool thing, that they're just like, no, you, you have to imagine what Indiana Jones was doing during World War II proper. Yeah, that's something I did not remember until this rewatch, actually. Well, I mean, I knew that he, like, we haven't seen him in World War II proper, but, like, you know, you, that really falls in the cracks a little bit. It's like, oh, he, it was the 30s, He's he literally is face-to-face with Hitler in Berlin at one point, which is, you know, something we didn't even touch on in the last part of this episode. Like, he's up in the business, but, you know, hearing the little snippets about, like, he is not... Not only is he a war hero, he is a spy for the OSS. And he's like... When he said OSS, I was like, oh, so he is the protagonist from Medal of Honor. That's what I'm saying! That's, like, legit, for real. Yeah. That's, the, that's the stuff right there. I, I'm pretty damn excited for that in Dial of Destiny. But I, I think they played it real cool and smooth in this one. Even, even with a very divisive new side character, Mac, who is, like, I was his gonna partner. say, do you think we get Mac... Young Mac in the title. Oh, I kind of hope so. I kind of hope so. Do you guys like Mac? No, Mac is kind of the weak point (laughs) of the first half of this movie for me. I don't give a crap about the whole changing sides, double agent, triple agent stuff. I don't think he's funny. I don't think he's charming. I don't either. I don't either. a waste of an Indiana Jones side character, which I gotta say, and we'll get to this in a minute, and I don't want to derail Mac right now, but like, I think Mutt Williams is actually pretty fun. I was pretty yeah, pleasantly surprised about how much I was digging Mutt Williams in this movie. I am so happy with all of this. You're, you're giving me a little bit at a time, Garrett, and I'm loving what I'm hearing. But I don't know. I think I think Mac has one 
really funny line, which is Indiana Jones goes, you were a triple agent? He goes, no, I was just lying about being a double agent. I think that's pretty funny. That's just, like, smart, fun writing. But yeah. everything else, it's like, he kind of has, like, a weird sacrificial death. Where it's like, it, literally even moments before that, he was trying to bail on everyone else, betrayed them by leading uh, the Russians to to Akator, was trying to loot as much as he could down to the very last second before he gets, like, sucked into the void. And then it's like, don't worry, I'll be alright, Indiana Jones, charming wink. Well, supposed to be charming wink. And yeah. then I'm just like, am I, are we supposed to, like, think he's coming back one day? Like, what a... I don't care about this guy that much. I don't think it's Ray Winstone's fault, to be fair. I think he's doing, like, what he can. He's a good actor. I like him. I mean, he's playing scumbag companion quite well. It's just not as good as it should be for, you know, iconic scumbag Indiana Jones, you know? Yeah, it's weird. I don't like it. I wish he were in less of this movie. Or actually, probably it would be fixed. I hate to say this, if he were in more of the movie. I think if he had more screen time to develop more of a character than just like, I like money. And then. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. How boring is that? Like, we have like this whole thing about like ideologies and stuff. And he even says in the movie, it's like, it's not about flags, Indiana Jones. It's about money. I don't know what (laughs) accent that was, but it sure as hell wasn't Mac for that movie. Australia, I think, maybe. Crikey, Indiana Jones. That's not a skull. This is a skull. I will say the one purpose that Max serves that I think is really good is the entire opening is incredibly well conceived and executed as a reintroduction to Indiana Jones, not just because you 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 know, you get the iconic pulling him out of the trunk, putting the hat, the silhouette, the way Spielberg shoots that is amazing. I think on brief aside the fact that this is so competently shot and has such a compelling score over the film automatically raises its bar a great deal oh, yeah. compared to things that we've been getting recently. But you have the escalation of the gunpowder thing is really cool. It shows how smart Indiana Jones is. And you have him climbing on all the crates and stuff. And then you have the moment that he, like, you know, when the action breaks out and he goes full Indiana Jones and Mac is the only guy in there that's like, no, you don't understand. This guy's crazy and unstoppable and maybe immortal. <laughs> and we need to, like, you don't under, you, he, he keeps saying to that one Russian, you don't know him. Oh, you don't know that's him. That's good. I like that a lot. I like that somebody's like, this man is one insane and also maybe has like the seal of God protecting him <laughs> for a couple past adventures here. So I mean, I think, he did drink from the Holy Grail. He drank yeah. from the Holy Grail. He was up up in there with the Ark. Maybe Kali is still lending a hand <laughs> from time to time. He was on his side for a minute there. I think Mac should have died in the nuke. That's my official take on Mac. He should have been trying to get into a second fridge and <laughs> didn't make it in time, and he just gets absolutely vaporized. I like that those Russians get toasted alive by the <laughs> rocket thing. That's cool. Uh, oh my god, yeah. Again, more more brutal violence in this one specifically. I mean, it's toned down like insanely. Well, since, it's still CGI and rubbery even CGI-y though CGI and rubbery. I mean, the first half of this movie has pretty good CGI. I think it's still in an era where if we were going to have super CGI heavy movie audiences expected it to look good most of the time. And then we get to the jungle. And then we get to the jungle. <laughs> the weirdest, worst-looking jungle environment I've ever seen. 
It's it's bizarre. They're like, because I would say like a big joke that we say on this show often. It's like it's like blank, you know, blank era PlayStation graphics. Like is this PS one through PS three graphics style? But it's just like weirdly nothing it's like none of that and also it does not look satisfying or real in any way they're just in a void the whole time yeah that whole second half of the movie it's a green void and then it's like for half the time there's a cliff that like means nothing pretty much because it doesn't look real i think the ants look great and disgusting and make my skin crawl i like the ants a lot in concept in theory we needed a new little creature couldn't be snakes Mm -hmm. again i like ants I also think that the ants are cool because it brings back something, because every Indiana Jones movie has the creepy crawly, right? But not since Raiders have you combined two staples of the Indiana Jones franchise into one mechanic. You have the creepy crawly that is also the ticking time bomb set piece environment. And in Raiders... When that torch goes out, those snakes are going to get them. They are part of the imminent Mm. danger and not just like a gross hazard. And in this movie, you have the ants are part of the hazardous environment that Indy is fighting in. Just like on a boat that's getting sucked into a propeller or an airplane that a guy's face is going into a propeller. Lots of propellers in Indiana Jones. (laughs) That's true. Gotta love a good propeller death. You really do, though. But, I mean, to this day, one of the most disturbing images I can think of of the franchise is watching the Russian guy, Russian lieutenant one. Devonko, sure, yeah. Because my dad will, my dad, who you know, I think it's a testament to that guy being (laughs) memorable. When he pops up in other things, my dad's like, it's Devonko. Wow, no way. (laughs) He's he's got a very memorable face, I will say. He's got a very, I feel like I recognized him from something else on my rewatch. But watching his body go limp as it's like sucked into the anthill is messed up. I don't want to see that. I don't like to see that. it, It is really gross to watch them like invade his every orifice on this man's body and then drag him underground. It is gross. Yeah, there's that shot of him, like, screaming and the ants are, like, going into his mouth and his nose and it's, yeah, you're right, it's it's a lot. I do like how the the skull, like, makes the ants part. Oh, yeah, that's a great addition to, like, what Garrett was saying, like, the ticking time bomb environment thing. It's, like, classic Indiana Jones fist fight, but it's not fire, it's not lava, it's not whatever, it's just, like carnivorous ants everywhere i think that's genius also we've not gotten to the aliens of it all and i don't think we're quite ready yet but (laughs) i I think about that the the build-up of the skull is pretty well done i always remember hating the scene where they go to oxley's cell and i actually really enjoyed that this time but how eerie the skull is, the way that they find it, the fact that it's magnetic when it shouldn't be, the fact that the animals instinctively know to avoid it. I think all of that is interesting and Mm. builds up the mystique of it. And this movie, it lacks ambiguity, which is part of its problem, because the arc is mysterious and we don't know what's going to happen and what its power is, and the grail is mysterious and we don't know what it looks like, even. And the Shankara stones are in the worst one except for this one so it doesn't (laughs) you know it matters less but in this one it's like no it's by the end you're like it's explicitly interdimensional beings and they they go through the whole thing of 
I don't know. I don't even. I don't even know if I'm bothered by the fact that it's aliens. I am bothered by the fact that it's ancient aliens. Like the aliens That's came the and built the pyramids. Oh I my don't God. like because I'm not inherently opposed to when they're like, who would we get to fly out to Area 51 in the middle of the night to look at Roswell? Indiana Jones would be on that list. That's a cool concept. I don't love when we get to that whole. It falls apart when we get to the jungle. The whole city of gold business, all of that, does not work for me. The fact, again, the fact that it's like weird, dormant, ancient aliens, I don't like. Well, it's kind of weird how, like, in the first half of the movie, it's kind of like you know, fifties B movie, like Area Fifty One kind of aliens, and then the second half is like aliens, you know, like ancient aliens. They built the pyramids, like they, like they wanted to go both directions with it and didn't pick one. Exactly, I agree with you, Sean, and I think that the fifties B movie aliens are one, more time-appropriate for this movie, but two, just inherently more interesting to me. I feel like I have less of a problem with it being, like... The, I, I, I have... I think Ancient Aliens kind of works in the idea of what Indiana Jones is, you know? It has to be about... It has to be about history. They can't just, like, just throw Area 51 aliens at Indiana Jones, because then what is that movie? It's just... It's just Mars Attacks, but Indiana Jones, you know? I, I think- don't know. I, I don't know what it is, but I think the third act is already so lackluster that something else could have been figured out. I, I feel like in this rewatch, I noticed this a lot, lot, a lot more. They, the mystery of the aliens itself is just flat, flat out given to you in the first 10 minutes of this movie. They're, they drive up to Area 51. They look at the alien, like they open the alien body at Area 51, you know, and then yep. later on, they do, like, a big reveal in the jungle of, like, look at this alien body, but it's like, we already we already saw that one, dog, like, we know what's going on here. I feel like my bigger problem is with, it should have been more of a focus on, like, what is this mysterious power we don't understand, and then getting a little, sneaking a little closer to aliens as you go, instead yeah. of, like, this movie is about aliens, and then, boom, right at the end, interdimensional ancient aliens that you have no time to, like, really get into. You know, I guess you don't really get into the Ark or the Holy Grail, but you kind of, it's a little more basic of a concept when you get to the biblical stuff versus, like, this isn't, not only is it an ancient lost civilization, it's one that was built by aliens that are now also vanished, taking Mac and uh, Spelko, is that her name? Spelko. Spelko with them? Arena Spelko. What an absolute goober she is in this movie. Is, She's is she not great, a goober? I think. I, I actually I, really like her. She gets the lamest villain death in all of Indiana Jones, <laughs> she which gets, is sad. She gets the Raiders death, you know? She gets what she wants, and it kills her, you know? But it's not interesting or cool. It's just fire comes out of her eyes. Yeah, I guess that that yeah, that's true. I I always took that as like maybe she she's with that ship for sure still. Maybe same as Mac. You know, they're they're in the space between spaces. <sighs> yeah, and that's I I like Oxley. I actually think he's a really good addition because he kind of gets to be the Marcus to Indy's Henry. Yeah, that's true. And I like that they're old friends. I like that like he knows Marion and that he raised Mutt and all that. I think he's really funny when he's crazy, actually. Like, the the, the get help joke is a very Indiana Jonesy joke. <laughs> Him but swinging I, that stick around always makes me laugh. Yeah. 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 But I hate that then he just turns into the exposition machine. The, the, like, he becomes the puzzle machine, and then he explains the space between spaces and the skull and return and all of it. And I just hate that part of that character. And I wish that they explained less in this movie. 
Uh, I, I keep going back to maybe we'll see him in Dial of Destiny. Literally everything is on the table for Dial of Destiny, and I want I want them to talk about Crystal Skull. I, I don't want like a you like have a little, to uh, a little bit. I think that's you what have I'm thinking, to. right? Like he's married at the end of this movie. He's got like. I was going to say an adopted son, but it's just his son that he like, re-adopts, <laughs> I guess. I mean, I, I, I think Shia LaBeouf's <sighs> acting in this movie, before I get too far away from Mutt Williams, is yeah. kind of incredible, actually. Like, his his defiance and arrogance to Indiana Jones and then, like, his kind of wonder at how capable he is is really good. And then but also going, he's kind of a wimp, which I like. Yeah, totally. He's, he's jittery. He's freaking out. He's grabbing his comb and he's shaking. But then when you get to things like... You know, Oxley's cell, it's like he's really messed up by his father figure losing his mind. Like, the the tears that well in Shia LaBeouf's eyes when he's, like, whispering, like, what happened to you, man? Like, that, like, shook me as a kid, and it shook me rewatching it. I was like, oh, yeah, that's why I remember Shia LaBeouf being, like, a real actor in this is that he's kind of got this big range of emotional availability as Mutt Williams. And he also does that cool knife thing where he throws <laughs> around. This, yeah, Mutt is good. I think Mutt is good. I think part of the reason that Mutt gets such a bad rap is, one, the build-up to the sword fighting is actually really well executed, and then the sword fighting sucks. Yeah. Oh, it, you're in the jungle. The crotch, him, all of that is awful. And then the other part is, I don't want to divert too much because I think we're on a good train talking about Mutt, but... The last scene of this movie is so bad that it kind of tanks the whole movie. It's so over the top and cheesy, and I hate the hat blowing to mud. No, no, and, oh, I thought that I, hate it. I loved it more than I ever have on this rewatch because it's clearly it's clearly playing off two thousand eight expectations of oh Shia LaBeouf is just Indiana Jones now. And I think it's I think it's great. I think it, it works really well. And if that was the end of Indiana Jones forever, if that little walk out the church door was it, I would be very satisfied with that. If I'm being honest, Sean, Sean I feel like you haven't talked yeah, in a while. You're the tiebreaker <laughs> yeah, here, Sean. I, you got to let us know what you think about the hat blowing in the wind. I I don't know. I've I've always thought it was pretty dumb and cheesy, but maybe that's <laughs> the point of it. That's what I'm saying. Like it's corny as hell. I'm not gonna say that it's like, oh, look at that great riding. The wind blows open the church doors. Like it's yeah. super corny. But because you're right, though. I mean, it, well, at that point in time, you know, I remember people making fun of him for being too old to be Indiana Jones 15 years ago. You guys remember that? Oh yeah. Oh for sure. <laughs> well, uh, you know, I think. It, the little tease of him possibly taking up the series. I mean, like James Bond got recast, you know, how many times over the years, why not recast Indiana Jones with a younger actor, you know, or like the adventures of Mutt Williams or whatever, you know, like, like really spinning it off. Like that's, I remember the reaction in the theater when I saw this movie, like opening weekend and everybody, it was just like that big, ah, like, ah, they got us like just for a second there. They got us. And that has stuck with me. Like, they got a lot of people with that. That looks like exactly like what, you know, like what Disney would do today if yeah. they were able to. <laughs> they would they would pull that off for real. I mean, not pull it off, but they would do it. As as not good as this movie is, except for the parts that I actually do like, I think that it is telling that in 2008, I remember my theater being really receptive to it. And this was not in the Marvel era where people just mm-hmm. went to a movie to clap at it. I really, because that was that was one of the first movies I ever saw where people clapped at the end of the movie. 
And I think it's telling that even though there are so many problems, and especially that second half has so many problems, that people still felt like they were taken on an adventure enough to really go along with that movie in the theaters. You know, even though it's not like it was well-received in 2008. I'm not trying to retell history here, but... I don't know. I've, I've been reflecting on that a little bit, thinking about these movies. Yeah, you know, it's 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 a it's a good time. I don't know. I rewatched it. I I really really liked it. I I was expecting to go in and just like have my dreams crushed. My my little <laughs> kid watching the DVD of the Crystal Skull and enjoying the hell out of it. Dreams being just like dashed, like a lot of things that you revisit. But I mean, besides the fact that I didn't remember that. Like, when he finds out that he is Mutt's dad, he is, like, really, like, incredibly dismissive about the person who raised Mutt and Marion's husband who died, and... I actually think that that's a good conversation, though. Like, the bit on the on the truck where they fight, I actually don't hate. But, because... like, but as they go farther down, he's like... He's like, I'm your, I am your father and you have no say in it, you adult man who has like his own life and emotional, you know, attachments to other father figures. It's, it's a little weird. I gotta say. I took it as them just being a bit. I didn't think they were (laughs) trying for it to be that serious of a comment, but. Uh, I, I took it so seriously, Sean. Yeah. When you think about it from that angle, it is pretty messed up. But I guess he's, I don't know, he's dying in quicksand and like they're having that conversation. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. They're going to die, so... I've got to say, I really actually surprisingly liked Marion's portrayal in this movie. Mm -hmm. Karen Allen is in... She's nowhere near as good as she's in Raiders in this. But I also think Harrison Ford has some moments where I'm like, man, Harrison Ford, you could have tried a little bit more in this movie. (laughs) (laughs) But I think the big problem for me with Marion is while I like her characterization, I like that she... Even with the stupid waterfall duck boat thing that I hate... It's showing that she's resourceful and competent and part of the action and and has her own initiative. And I think that overall, her character is, is relatively well-written, except too much of her character is about her son and too much of, like, there's just not enough of her. She comes in so late in the movie mm-hmm. and then she just doesn't get a lot to do. And I think that's a real squandered opportunity because I think she is, like, their dynamic is really good. The idea of those two reconnecting is really good. They all have the same problem. They weren't you, sweetheart, is a good little moment with them. Yeah, I wish Marion were just in it more and had and had more interesting stuff to do. Yeah, me too, truly. I, th- I feel like that's <laughs> a lot of the parts, uh, a lot of the characters, rather, that I wish were better. It's just that I wish that they had more time. Honestly, cut Mac out entirely and devote his extra time to the characters that needed it more, and this movie would have been yeah. w- like pumped up way more than people... They give it credit for now, but I think broadband though is is the perfect amount of in this movie. <laughs> I think that he comes in, he's the Marcus analog, but they don't try to like flesh him out too much. Mm. He's just there to be Indy's friend and to know what Indy's talking about. And be like, man, it is sad that that Marcus and and Henry Senior yeah. died, and that is a good moment. That's a good little beat there where they look at the pictures that are clearly just stills from the movie from the movies yeah exactly that's exactly what i thought <laughs> do you know why sean connery didn't uh come back for this one as he even was for like a cameo mega retired and he was like i'm not coming back for anything basically. also he would have been like 150 years old in character like he would have been so old as indiana jones's dad in this i don't know i'd get i 
I would accept that what? Henry Senior was still alive. You're I kidding would. me? No way. I don't. I don't know. That seems like he would have a... been like he could have been like because if Indy is supposed to be sixty in this movie, which he is, because he was born. This is nineteen fifty-seven, right? And Indy was born in like eighteen ninety-eight ish. It's eighteen ninety-nine. I just watched that episode yesterday. Actually, it's like July first, eighteen ninety-nine. Awesome, fantastic. Mm. So you know, Indy is less than. 60 so henry true i guess henry could be 80 easily like you know and i mean like i know they crossed the seal or whatever in the last one but he did drink from the cup of christ that's got to get you an extra 10 years at least right i i have heard a lot of theories about how and i think in the novelization it's even kind of explicit that basically the grail even though they crossed it and the grail has no power anymore that it fixes everything that like so Indy, you know, he's got all those scar- the the scars and stuff on his face that get healed when he drinks from the grail. And I feel like it, it's just totally fixing everything inside you, you know. So like, yeah, that de- <laughs> whatever's ailing you in, in uh, that year, which you would definitely die from super quick, and I guess fixed right up. So, you know, especially with the with the with the clean slate of the Holy Grail, I buy him. I buy him being alive at that point. I don't mind. I'm not upset <laughs> by it. I think it's a very respectful, very well handled thing. And the pacing of this movie doesn't necessarily need a Henry Senior yeah. cameo. But I mean, imagining him and Mutt interacting like surprise grandson and him being like unimpressed by his demeanor. I feel like that would be pretty damn fun. But I, I can just imagine that instead. I don't think they could have fit that in there really. Yeah, I but, guess it kind of would. It would have probably been pretty awkward. There, there wasn't really a spot where it would have been like, yeah, that's where you do it. Yeah, that's for the rewrites when you're rewriting Oxley as like, oh, they kidnapped Henry Senior again, and he's crazy <laughs> this time. It's like you know, maybe that could have been fun, but they weren't. They weren't gonna get old Sean Connery out into the CGI jungle. <laughs> they were not. You brought up Young Indy, and there are a couple of things that. There's basically one conversation that is the young Indiana Jones conversation <laughs> yes, in this movie. Garrett, I was wondering about that. Is it the part where Indy's like, oh yeah, when I was a kid, I hung around with Pancho Villa for a while. Is that it? <laughs> and that is yeah. an actual episode of Young Indy where he goes and he hangs out with Pancho Villa. Spring break adventure. You'll I, know when you get to it. I cannot wait for that episode. I'll finally have my full indie verse wrapped up because I've already seen The Legend of the Peacock's Eye famously. And now I just need to see the Pancho Villa. But also just little allusions to, like, things aren't always so good at home, and the wedge that's between him and his dad at that point in the series is, it like, it doesn't just feel like a one-off, oh, isn't it funny that Indiana Jones met Pancho Villa? It feels like, hey, this was a point in Indy's life that he is reflecting on holistically and relating to Mutt about. It's good character writing, and it feels like David Kep or Spielberg or whoever was really trying to think about young Indiana Jones and incorporating that into the character in that scene. And so I really appreciate that. And it works really mm-hmm. well having watched it, I think. And talking about his mom, his, his mom. Yeah. Oh he, yeah. You only get one and maybe not for that long. And that's another thing in, in young Indy that I'm excited to talk with you, Seamus, when you get to when his mom leaves the picture and how they handle it. And some things I have a problem with in the show, but other things that I actually really appreciate that they do in the show, so that'll be fun. Dude, I, I don't remember how she dies canonically, so I'm waiting for her to get blindsided at any moment. I'm ready for her to go out hard. 
Uh, I also feel like we have to talk about the best scene in this movie, the most Indiana Jones scene in this movie. Oh, the motorcycle chase. The motorcycle chase Ah, through through the college, yeah. So good. Well, excuse me, Uh, greaser preppy bar brawl to motorcycle chase, (laughs) I think is is such a flawless uh, sequence of events where, you know, great setup in there, starting the chaos, jumping on the motorcycle, riding through an anti-communist... Uh, uh, protest mm-hmm. through the library. We get our Wilhelm scream out of the way right off up the top with that nerd guy who almost gets killed. Do you know who the actor is that Indy says, if you want to be an archaeologist, you gotta, gotta get out of the library? No. What, uh, who? Who is that? That is Chet Hanks. Chet no, Hanks. it is not. Oh is. my good god. That is very weird to know that. That is... Ah, I have to go rewatch Kingdom of the Crystal Skull for Chet Hanks is a sentence that no one's ever said before. If if people listening or maybe even Sean are not familiar with Chet Hanks, Chet Hanks is Tom Hanks's famously weird and kind of douchey <laughs> son. Famously controversial for his, I mean, I hate to say 100% spot on Jamaican patois accent. Like, <laughs> oh, he, no, hey, I don't, I don't like that he has a perfect <laughs> accent, but he really does, and it makes me uncomfortable. Ugh. One last thing about the motorcycle chase: Marcus's statue busting out in through the <sighs> windshield, and then that didn't get a laugh out of you. I don't, know, I don't know how to feel about that because I'm like, part of it's like, yeah, Marcus is in on it, but also I'm like, I don't know how respect like Denim Elliot is actually dead. But I, I get, I mean, it was, a, it's not like, I don't know. It showed how sad Indiana Jones yeah. was and how out of touch Mutt Williams was with the well, situation. Yeah. I think that was really funny as he's like, Hey, get a load of that. We, we wrecked the statue. And Indiana Jones is like, that was my best friend who's dead. And I'm like, <laughs> Oh no. The good part of that is the callback to the last crusade. Like this is, isn't funny this is it's not funny we're on a motorcycle and you're my son and this isn't funny <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is true that is true <laughs> poetry sort of it rhymes hey oh, this guy gets God. it almost like <laughs> you know we had him on the show for a reason uh speaking of that actually i was watching the special features a little bit on the uh the kingdom of the crystal skull disc and it basically sounds like most of the dumb stuff in this movie was george's idea and he like forced <laughs> everyone else around him to like go with it and i'm assuming that he had similar ideas the whole time but this time nobody told him you know no mm, that doesn't sound like the george lucas i know i don't know about that <laughs> Like Steven Spielberg, after 40 years, is just tired of saying no. So they Fine, just George, do, do whatever you want. Yeah, he definitely wore down Steven Spielberg over like <laughs> 10 years on the idea of aliens and finally was like, they're, they're not aliens, they're interdimensional beings. They're, it's it's not space, like, it's the space between spaces, right? That's right? literally a comment that they make on the special features where Spielberg's like, he, he literally goes, and I was just like, fine. <laughs> That's so funny. Like, in the disc. Oh, uh, fine, George. It's poetry. Those. Fine. I get it. It's poetry. And then yeah. there's also a part where he's like, we're not going to do anything unless all three of us agree on it. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine that's true. Joke I never got and do not remember at all is when they're sword fighting, she's like, you fight like a young man, eager to start and quick to finish. That's wow, you know what? I didn't even get that, that until you said it with that inflection in your voice, Garrett. So thank you for finally bringing my ass around since 2008. So I have, I think it's, you know, Kate Blanchett's good in this. I think she's good. Like, I think she's good. I think her accent is wildly inconsistent. Yeah. She, she skews British literally half of the time. 
time. And not not like one sentence, the other sentence. It's like halfway through the sentence, she's like, I will break you, Dr. Jones. And I'm like, what yeah. are we doing? What is happening? What is this? You're, you're Russian. Yeah, you're not wrong about that one. That, that, but that's the only real problem I have. With, like, cause she, like you said, she's great. She's got her weird, super cold, you know, Russian thing. She's got the weird haircut. You know, I'm, I'm into it. Yeah, the haircut's cool. I think that's a, like, she has a very distinctive mm-hmm. look that feels like it belongs in the world in of Indiana Jones. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing that I had, this is my last thing, is when they're finding the tomb with the skull in it and Indy goes over the balancey thing and then he comes back and it's just that look that he's giving Mutt. That's so Indiana Jones. That's such a great facial read from Harrison Ford. (laughs) Yeah, he's got got a couple real good ones in here in this movie where he's just uh, a smirk or a look from from his Indiana Jones eyes. It really goes a long way. That scene reminded me of uh, a particular uncle that I have just kind of some of the back and forth that they have throughout that like especially where they're like you know oh there's two sets of footprints could have been two people or the same person twice you know not bad kid that whole thing reminded me that's a good moment yeah oh yeah definitely it just felt like I was with somebody of that age group like watching that movie it just felt authentic to me somehow yeah all of this old indie talk has me just thinking about Dial of Destiny and how petrified I am for this movie to not be good and for him to maybe lose the touch but he hasn't yet and and he proved that in our rewatches here our three mutual Crystal Skull rewatches so I'm holding out hope the thing that's hard for me about Dial of Destiny now after rewatching Crystal Skull is in my brain I'm like it can't be worse than Crystal Skull. But now, having rewatched Crystal Skull, not that I think the writing probably isn't going to be better, and I'm hoping Harrison Ford's performance is going to be better, even though I do think he is good in most of this. The the thing for me is Spielberg is such a good director, and he has such a great presence on film, even when the film is not that good. Even when Mutt Williams is swinging through the trees <laughs> with those capuchin monkeys... It still has a little bit of that Spielberg wonder in there, and from the trailers, I have they don't look terrible, but I have not seen the same level of competence, the same level of of Indiana Jonesiness in the, in the energy of the way that this new one is made. And I'm hoping that I'm wrong. I think James Mangold's a good director. I think he's a good man for the job. I don't know. I am a little bit worried. I think that it could be. I can't believe I'm saying this. It is in a position where I do think it could be my least favorite Indiana Jones movie, which is kind of hard to say. Oh, the few, the your your own destiny is unclear, Gary, but it, it's going to all come together. I, I'm, I'm praying with you to Kali. Let's move on to our pop culture reference this week. For this week's pop culture reference, once again, we are kicking it on over to our special esteemed guest, Sean, and he's going to take us down a little history road of his own yet again. Sean, what do you have for us for the reference this week? So this time, I've got a little bit of uh, a personal history about Steven Spielberg and Harrison Ford and their uh, their experiences in the, the Boy Scouts of America. So obviously in The Last Crusade, the beginning of it, you know, Indy is a Boy Scout. This has, all, you know, Spielberg put this in because of his experiences as a youth. As I said before, the uniforms may not have been period accurate, as some of us uh, may have wished they were. <laughs> so Steven Spielberg, uh, he is an Eagle Scout. Uh, that's something that 
I'm not sure if you know a lot of people know he joined the scouts at the age of 12. He got the photography merit badge and he made you know a, a movie for that. He cast some of his friends as the actors, that sort of thing. And then throughout some of his adult life, he talked about his time in scouting very positively. He says that it really helped him. The experiences helped shape him into the man that he is today. Um, he was involved as an adult. Uh, with the scouts on some kind of advisory board. I saw a lot of articles called it that. They just said, I, you know, I looked for multiple sources. They just said he was on an advisory board. I'm not sure what that board is, uh, but he was on it. He helped the, the Boy Scouts develop the cinematography merit badge, which I did not get. Garrett, maybe you got it. I didn't actually, shockingly enough. That is quite shocking, actually. In, uh, in 2001, he stepped back from his role on whatever advisory board that was due to the uh, the organization's anti-homosexual stance at the time. Uh, so at that point, the Supreme Court had just backed up the, uh, the BSA's right to not allow uh, homosexual youth or adults. Uh, so that's why he stepped back at that point. Um, in the in the time since then, they've gone back on, you know, they've uh, they've allowed uh, gay leaders and then, and youth. And uh, they've really basically in the last 10 years, they've reversed pretty much all of the policies that he spoke out against. So maybe his opinion of the organization is different now. Uh, I did not find anything where he publicly made a statement about it. So I'm not sure, but uh, that is certainly a possibility. Uh, Harrison Ford also was involved in scouts as a youth. In fact, he grew up not very far at all from where Garrett and I grew up, and he worked at the uh, the summer camp that Garrett and I went to as kids. So uh, there's a little bit of a personal tie-in for us here. Um, in the dining hall, there were these canoe paddles that had the names of all the staffs for every year. And so uh, the year that he was on there, of course, his name was on there. It said Harry Ford. So that was always <laughs> kind of a, yeah, it said Harry, yeah, not Harrison. I love that. And it's not in his handwriting, like like one person, you know, did all the painting on the, the paddle. But yeah, so that was always kind of a, an interesting thing to go see. Uh, he he did not end up being an Eagle Scout. He hit the highest rank he achieved was Life Scout, which is why he's wearing, or at least Indy's wearing a Life Scout patch in, um, in the Last Crusade. That's the second highest rank. So he was almost there, I guess. Uh, I did not see any public statements that he had made about the scouting movement, you know, after becoming an adult. But he did he did save a Boy Scout in his helicopter one time about 20 years ago. So that was kind of interesting. I, I did, had not heard about that. Wow. Oh, I didn't I guess know there was about that kid, either. Yeah, I guess there was a kid that was like lost in the in the woods somewhere. And uh, he, being a scout, knew how to signal for help. So he had like a mirror or something kind of shiny and was like signaling up to planes, kind of reflecting the sunlight up at him. And so, you know, a helicopter comes down and it's Harrison Ford in there. And he, I guess <laughs> he's just like, good morning. How are you? Legendary. I'm, I'm very glad he didn't. <laughs> I'm glad that worked out that way. That must have been the biggest shock of that kid's life. Besides yeah, the interviews with the kid were pretty funny. They were like, he was like shocked. And then he also said that he sounded just like Indiana Jones and Han Solo in real life. <laughs> Hell yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> Which is pretty baller. Well, as a, as a past scout myself, that was all very interesting. I definitely didn't know pretty much anything about, I mean, the uniforms in Last Crusade, let alone like the real actual personal histories of them with the with the scouts. So that, that's really interesting, man. Thank you for bringing that to the table here today. Of course. Well, Sean, even as somebody who grew up talking about and, and, and hearing about that stuff firsthand, you just taught me a lot of stuff that I had no idea was true. So thank you for telling us about it. 
And with that, what do you boys say we wrap it up and we kick it on over and save the rec center? Let's save it. Save the rec center! Now it's time to save the rec center, where we bring you our weekly recommendations. Sean, as our guest, what do you have for us this week? So I've got an extra special one this week, guys. If you thought that this podcast, or actually the podcast last week, was the first time Garrett and I have ever collaborated on the internet before, you would be quite no mistaken. What is, what is happening right now? That's right. In high school, he and I had a YouTube channel called Squad Up Mini Golf, where we would review uh, mini golf courses in our general area. <laughs> These videos, they're difficult to watch. I'm not going to lie. But especially for Garrett and I at this time, we've, we've talked about it, we've watched them, we've thought about how easy it would be to make them so much better. <laughs> you have no idea how, how fa- you better you better send me a link so that I can post it on our social media, because that is incredible. And Wait, I did you genuinely wait. not know about this? Well, I, not really. I mean, he's maybe mentioned it in the past, but I, I didn't know that they were accessible, my friend. This is <laughs> Oh, this is the news. channel is still up. You oh can watch all the videos today. <laughs> You've been um, exposed, Garrett Strother. You're about to... You're about to get an out, more publicity than you ever thought possible on these YouTube videos. <laughs> oh, my lord. Oh, Sean. <laughs> Mercy me. <laughs> you sound uh, afraid to, to fight back. You're like, he has all the power. He's, he's, ex- <laughs> he's putting the receipts out there. Oh, uh, you know, I mean, they're dumb and they're fun and we had fun making them. And that's, you know, the, our subscribers are the real winners, is what we always used to say back then. And I think that's true today. Oh well, the subscribers goodness. have been waiting for a long time, Garrett. <laughs> We're about to link up that channel with our current stuff, and we'll all we'll all come back together. Uh, our old friend Adam from high school, who I used to text every time we posted a new video, and he would go and watch it that second. Was he clamoring for, like... I trust these guys about mini golf courses. Like they'll really give me the lowdown. There's a cu- there's a couple of them. I think that he even left comments on where he was like, "Sean is my favorite, and I trust him the most." <laughs> <laughs> that is so funny. I mean, Sean, you that was a blind side, man. That was incredible. <laughs> I actually have a backup because I like I was like, there's a there's a non-zero chance Garrett does not let me put that on air. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's staying. I am second again. It, is, it has been sworn in. Well, Seamus, what do you have for your... Please don't be one of my old YouTube channels. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm not going to roast myself. Wait, one of them. Oh, there's the one with Sheriff Movie, too. Sheriff Movie's private, Sean. Thank you. Okay. You cannot find Sheriff Movie that's, on the internet that's anymore. That's going to be a special Criterion uh, feature on your feature one day that'll be out there. That's going to show in the previews of when you have your U505 movie come yeah, out on the 75th yes. anniversary of D-Day. Hell yeah. Well, I don't know if either of you boys got the news. It is French Boy Summer this summer, and I have been recently revisiting some French New Wave classics. Most favorite and dear to my little French boy heart, Jean-Luc Godard's 1967 Weekend. 
And honestly, I may have already rec-centered this at some point in the distant, distant past, but I think this movie is a masterpiece. It is absurd, and it is challenging to watch, and it is hilarious in pretty much every single scene, even the scenes with, like, mutilation and death and murder and stuff. It is nearly flawless, I would say. I, You know, I would say certainly flawless for the insane kind of movie that Jean-Luc Godard was trying to make with Weekend. It's just, just, you ever had like a legitimate fever dream that you could not escape no matter how hard you tried? That's what this movie is, and it is incredible. I, I would watch a whole hour and 45 minutes of that traffic jam shot and that is not even a joke it is are you sure that traffic jam shot isn't an hour and 45 <laughs> minutes oh, wait. it could be and i wouldn't even bat an eye it is i it incredible and i would recommend it to anybody that has patience for things that will piss you off on screen because that movie pisses people off i feel like oh i mean it's it's a weird one. I mean, this is not, this is maybe the most weird thing you've ever rec-centered, Seamus, and I'm holding for Danger Zone. And you and I have both rec-centered <laughs> a lot of weird things, oh, yeah. but Weekend is a, a true a true experience. I, as you know, am not Godard's biggest fan, but watching Weekend makes me understand what people see in Godard that I see in, in, in other artists like Demi and Truffaut. Mm-hmm. And Varda. And, yeah, Weekend, it's crazy. It's very uncomfortable. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But it is a triumph. It really is. I mean, that's that's why I like it. It makes you so uncomfortable and confused from start to finish. I remember for the for seeing this for the first time, it, my professor didn't really give me much to think about when it was, you know, they introed it very minimally and they were just like, just let it happen to you, basically. And that's how I want to spread the word of Weekend. It's just like, don't even, don't even think about anything. Just go into it, think you know what's going on for about five minutes, and then spend the rest of the entire movie tr- like clinging to sanity before the credits roll. It is it, it, one of my all-time favorites and you can watch it on max Uh, it's got its little criterion bumper at the very beginning it looks fantastic uh in 4k restoration hd all that i haven't seen it in such good quality ever really i've only seen it like projected in like lesser of a of a quality projector but it, it is right there on max for everybody to sit down and ask huh (laughs) <laughs> and and I, I could not recommend it more. Yeah. But Garrett, why don't you wrap it up for us? What do you have for us to save the rec center? Well, Seamus, turnabout is fair play. And, you know, I was planning on doing this anyway, and now 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 I'm reconsidering it, but I am here to rec center Sean Till Dusk, the YouTube <laughs> yeah, channel. Hell yeah. <laughs> Because, Sean, I have been very grateful that you have decided to come on the show and embarrass me uh, these last <laughs> couple weeks. Uh, we had a really great time with you, and I do love your semi-animated video storytelling content. It's it's a hoot and a half, and it's not just because I was there for some of it. You do a really good job at, at capturing essences in your minimalistic style and your not very motion motion-based work, motion-based form. It's funny, it captures your personality and your sense of humor, and everybody in the description of this week and last week's episode is the link to Sean's channel, so really go check that out. It is a great time on YouTube. 
I can't recommend it enough. I can't. I I fully second that recommendation, truly. I think they're very fun. I want more Medieval Times videos, please and thank you. I would like I want to know the nitty-gritty. I want to know the dirt of behind the scenes at Medieval Times. And to anybody just unsure of what you can, you know, expect from these videos, you will finally understand the question wear bathroom and that is that is something that you can take to the bank folks i i hope you go and figure out what the hell that even means oh the wear bathroom guy will never know where <laughs> bathroom is gonna be your first like t-shirt when you make it big you're gonna be making millions well i appreciate that guys i uh, i'm glad you enjoyed the videos and i appreciate you having me on here and uh shilling my content uh, garrett especially after i torpedoed you out of nowhere <laughs> Well, you doxing you, you etc. You, you and bet me. your ass. I appreciated that. Oh yes, sir, I did. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, well, well, Garrett, I um, early on when I, you know, because I never did anything like that, and you know, until when I started it, and uh, I, you know, you gave me a lot of help early on. Two of what I consider to be the most key uh, bits of advice, you know, going into it came from you, and they were just the simplest things, I'm sure, to you, but to me, they were everything, and those were. Garrett, my drawings look terrible, and you were like, make the outlines thicker, and then that worked. <laughs> there you go. And then I was like, Garrett, the audio sounds like garbage, and you were like, it's because of your voice, make the gain negative six, and I was like, wow, it, it was magic once again. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad I could help you out. So, I appreciate that. But with that, we are wrapping up the show, finally. This is going to be another hefty one, I'm sure. If you want to reach the show directly, you can email us at popculturereferencepod at gmail.com. If you want to reach us on social media, you can hit us up at PCR underscore podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Next week, finally, we are we are wrapping up the Indieverse with the newest in the Indie installments, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. It's going to be insanely weird. I can't wait to see if our fears will come true true or if this is going to be the best indiana jones that there has ever been who knows anything is possible anything goes anything goes as willie scott once said anything goes well everybody we'll see you next week if you want to be a good adios you gotta get out of the amigos 